He begins in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. There's really three warnings that we're going to be looking at here in this first verse. The idea that there will be those who depart, uh, that they are um, hearing from deceiving spirits, and the teachings of demons, demonic teachings. So we have this idea, deceitful spirit, demonic teaching, and a departure from the faith. But he tells us it's going to take place in the latter times. We've been in the latter times for a long time. We need to understand when the Bible talks about the last days. It's not talking about the last week or the last hours. When the Bible talks about the last days, it means we are in the time frame in which God has finished saying whatever he's going to say. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 3 lay out for us that everything Jesus has to say, everything that the Lord has to deliver to us has been finished in his son. There's not another revelation coming. When the Old Testament ended, you understand that when the Old Testament ended, they were looking forward to the New Covenant. The New Covenant was something that was discussed throughout the prophets. Jeremiah talked about it. Ezekiel talked about it. Isaiah hinted at it. We have these ideas that there's something else coming. There's something we don't fully grasp. And so they were looking forward for something. And that something came. That something was Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid. The Messiah, the King. He came. He taught. He walked. He lived that perfect life. He atoned for us by his sacrificial death. It was acceptable to God in his resurrection. It is finished. From that moment, we find ourselves in something the Bible calls the last days. There's not another revelation. Now, I don't mean that to say that there cannot be prophetic utterance, but there are no more prophets because the prophet came to deliver the word of God that the people didn't have. The word of God you have, it's in your lap. It's in in the back of the seat in front of you. If you want to, You can know as much or as little about it as you want. But the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and then ascended to the Father, we entered into the last days. The only remaining thing on the prophetic calendar is his return. We are looking for the return of the king. Now we will, as a church, maybe not as Calvary Chapel Buell, but as the church, the body of Christ, argue about what that looks like from now till he comes. That shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't shock you. We always think that we're somehow better than everybody else. You remember what the disciples did every time Jesus walked somewhere? Jesus come walking into the room and he turned around to talk to the disciples and what were they doing? I'm better than you. Uh, No, you're not. I'm better than you. Jesus hugged me today. Oh, well, he winked at me. We've been arguing about who's the greatest and who has everything figured out since before there was a church. Because we are people. Somebody asked me the other day, Jackie, how do we get rid of all these problems? Simple, get rid of all the people. 
the only way for me to have total peace is if I'm not even there. So the idea, right, this concept is, in the last days, there's going to be an apostasia, a departure from the truth. And we talk about departures from the truth, we're, we're talking about people turning away from what God has given us, his word. His word is the final arbiter in all arguments, in all discussion, it's his word. Now, we may argue over seeing it differently, but at least we're coming to one arbiter, right? This is it. If I leave that, how do I anchor truth? I've left any ability to to anchor something objectively. Now it's all subjective, right? How I think, what I feel. If I'm in a bad mood today, I think one way. Tomorrow, I might think a different way. So we, we want to be anchored to the truth. He says, in the last days, some will depart the faith. And he describes this idea, the faith. How do we know what the faith is? How do we know what is the essential doctrine of the Christian faith? You know it because it's the word of God. One of my favorite things, uh, uh, one of my brothers did, Logan, we, we started a writing ministry, Calvary Chapel Buell, and we went down to Brother Speed a long time ago, and this is, uh, people, people laugh at us. You know, bikers have uh, rules. Yeah, yeah. They got rules. And, uh, and the best thing is just don't break them. Yeah, because they don't have normal conversations with you. <laughs> so anyways, we went down to Brother Speed and we said, hey, we're going to start a riding ministry. That's what we're going to do. And they said, this is the first time we went down there. We've been down there since. But we went down there and I uh, said, well, where's your bylaws? And Logan says, the Bible. And I thought, I like that. Now we actually have bylaws. But we, and that's not a bad thing either. Sometimes you just got to outline how you're going to do ministry. That's important. But the concept was everything's got to be founded on the Word of God. If it's not founded on the Word of God, and I mean everything's got to be founded on the Word of God. I, this is the hardest thing for churches on, around the world to get into their head. If you have ought against your brother, and you're wondering, what should I do? I know, I should go talk to ten people about it. That's not what the Bible says. I should go talk to the pastor. That's not what the Bible says. What is governing your life? Is it obedience to the word? Then we go to the word. Now, is it always comfortable to do what the Bible tells you to do? No, trust me, you don't want to be in half of the meetings I have. Right? You just read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and say, thank God I'm not the pastor. If you don't know what that says, I'm not going to tell you. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We want to order our lives behind the objective truth of the final arbiter of the word of God. Now, when we do that, some people get crazy ideas, and they think, well, there's, there's uh, one translation that's more holy than all the rest. You are in the wrong place. So, I use five translations every time I study. I preach out of the ESV, not because it's more holy, just because I like it. Somebody said, Jackie, why did you change? You used to do New King James. I said... Well, because I like ESV. That's okay, right? 
You like living the living Bible? Bring the living Bible. Look, uh, I'm going to get letters about this. If you like the message, bring the message. I don't care. Somebody asked me. <laughs> Jackie's gone too far again. <clears throat> Listen, let me, let, me, let me just settle this. People ask me all the time, what's the best, what's the best Bible for me to buy? The Bible you'll read. You don't need another Bible on your nightstand that sits there. Uh, whatever you got to do, get the Bible that you will read. And then read it. And don't, don't be afraid of other translations. You need to understand there is nuance in language. You should already know that. I have a lot of friends that speak Spanish. I used to work in, in a, a, a egg ranch or chicken ranch in California when I was in high school. And all my buddies... We had, we had like 10, it was McAnally's. You probably still see McAnally eggs somewhere. Maybe not in Idaho. Anyway, we, we, all my buddies get together and they'd be sitting on the table and laughing. They're probably telling jokes about me. But I, I know habla, so I didn't know. So I'd sit down and ask them, oh, what was that? And they go, oh, I was telling them a joke. And I said, well, tell me the joke. And they're like, it don't translate. Now, maybe, maybe they're like taking a shot at, uh, at Weto. I don't know. But the reality is, everything don't translate. So sometimes one word is not a one word translation, it's multiple translations. I got Tommy laughing now. He says, you can't say that word in church. I can too. I don't know. If it means something bad, sorry. That's what they used to call me. I better move on. So... We want to hold fast to the truth. Okay, so what are we watching out for? We're watching out for apostasy, a departure from the faith, a turning away from the Word of God, our foundation. And once we turn away from the foundation, then your ears are open to something else being the truth, right? Something else being the truth. We don't want to see that departure. Look, we want to understand, we want to, we want to hold fast to the word of God. But here's what he says, they'll depart from the faith, devoting themselves to, to, <coughs> excuse me, deceitful spirits. Now, that word spirit does not have to mean spirit like demon, devils, ghosts. It can just mean spirits like our own attitudes and the things that change within us. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't mean those things because we know that the Bible tells us that we do not uh, war against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness in, uh, in, in the heavenly places. So we understand that there are spiritual realities, but just know, every time it says spirit, sometimes it's talking about you. You ever had a deceitful spirit? I know we have. I know we have. You ever, you ever find yourself in a position where you've been hurt and you start listening to lies? We can listen to lies. And then we, we're just hearing these lies over and over in our head. This is what they, they're saying. This is what they think. This is what they mean. Anybody ever done that? It almost happens to me, I won't say every day, but often during a week, whatever, anytime you have a conversation with somebody, are you holding fast to the truth of God's word or are you listening to lying spirits? I just want to say, here's what's going on when you don't know. And trust me, you don't know. So what does the Bible tell us to do? Hold fast to the truth. 
speak the truth in love. If we got something going on, the way we get away from lying, deceitful spirits is I sit down on the couch across from somebody. Right? And it's not, it's not me having the meetings for all of you guys. It's all of us saying, I got odd against a brother, I need to talk to a brother. Right? And if you have odd against a brother, it better be something he did to you, not something you heard. That's not the same thing. Right? And then we deal with it. We, we sit down and we talk about it in love, the truth in love. In love, truth without love is brutality. So we sit down and we speak the truth. We hold fast. We don't want to turn away. We don't want to listen to the lying spirits. Because when we do that, we find ourselves in the realm of the teaching of demons. Now that doesn't have to be a demon teaching you. Jesus would look at the Pharisees when the Pharisees were all legalistic and and all crazed and had all these other ideas which most people would have said man they're incredibly pious look at all the piety of the of the pharisees look at all the piety of these guys and then they'd look at him and jesus would say you are of your father the devil and somewhere we get the crazy idea that that means that the devil was really their father or the devil's giving them all their thoughts Surely we have grown beyond the the realm of the devil made me do it. When I behave like the devil, the devil is my father. When I behave like Christ, he is. Do you get what I'm saying? And we can point our fingers behind every tree and say, and I'm not denying the spiritual realities, okay? Please don't hear that. But let's stop worrying about the spiritual realities. Well, let's get control of our own tongues. Let's get control of our own spirit. And then we'll worry about the other spirits. We want to we wanna understand. Here's what James says. James chapter 3. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So we're talking about false teachers there at Ephesus that Timothy needs to deal with. And these false teachers are being driven by lying spirits, right? Maybe it's jealousies, maybe it's bitterness, who knows what's going on, but it's taking them into the realm of the demonic because what they're doing is like what the devil does. And let me tell you what the devil does. The devil divides and kills. And every one of us have been in a church where we felt that. From someone who would call themselves a believer, who judged us, we had some collision with, whatever, and we, <clears throat> we felt judged, we felt hurt, we felt all of those things, and then we start to wrestle with, what am I supposed to do about these, I thought these guys were Christians. Oh, they are, they're Christian just like you. Just like me. Who sometimes listen to lying spirits and don't hold fast to what the word of God says and find themselves acting like demons and not acting like the Lord. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you got to straighten that stuff out. You got to straighten that stuff out. You got to let people know. My, my two, my kids, I got three boys. Uh, all of them have scars. Because that's what boys do. 
And I remember my two oldest boys just having knocked down, drag out brawls. I'm sure your kids are better behaved. <clears throat> uh, mine are just normal. So. so they'd have these big old fights with each other. And I would walk them to the door of the house uh, when I got them calmed down. And I'd point them outside and I'd say, everybody out there is going to try to kill you. And the only people you got is the one you're fighting with right now. And that's truth in the, in the body of Christ in the church. Everybody out there wants to destroy you. Stop fighting inside with one another. Just stop it. Do what Jesus said. Jesus said, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. That's what he said. I want to be like Jesus and I should ought to be able to apply that. Jesus, when he looked at his disciples, who spent all their time fighting with each other, right? He looked at his disciples and said, hey guys, they're going to know you are my disciples by how you love each other. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But if you'll hold fast to the truth of the word of God, and you'll be who God says to be, then you'll forgive one another and you'll have love for one another and you'll, you'll do the best you can and it'll be good enough. And when we fall and fail, we'll do what the rest of Timothy's been telling us to do, right? We'll repent, we'll confess, we'll move forward. Nobody can go backwards, but these guys, they're, they are following this falsehood. Look in verse 2. How are they doing it? Listen very carefully. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. There's a lot of ways to look at this, but listen, the insincerity through liars just means that they are lie speakers, and their, <clears throat> their goal in speaking lies is to deceive. And we all do this. I wish we would stop. Just say the truth. It's okay. If you're wrong, be wrong. If you're right, be right. But just stop. Just stop with the, the, the insincere lies. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. This is the opposite of that. We don't want to be lie speakers. And they, these are lie speakers, speakers of lies, whose consciences are seared, branded. In those days, if you were a slave, you got branded. You got seared. And that brand marked you out for what you were. Now, if you were ever set free, that'd be cool, but you still had this giant brand on your forehead or cheek or wherever they branded you that, that showed at one time, at least, you had been a slave. Here, these guys have a brand on their conscience. Now, the conscience in the Bible is an imaginary organ where morality resides. Okay? It's, it's not a, it's a real thing, but it's not a real part of your body, right? You get what I mean? The conscience. So the conscience, this conscience is branded. It's seared. It's got this brand on it. Whose brand? Is it God's? Well, if, it, if it's God's brand, then your conscience is a positive 
thing in your life, right? It convicts us of sin, drives us to prayer, seeks us to look after the Lord and make things right, right? This is a, this is a, a conscience that is, uh, has been branded by the Lord. Or is your conscience branded by Satan? The Bible would describe that as hard-hearted, seared, beyond feeling, You're no longer able to respond, no longer able to react. That's who these guys are in Ephesus. These guys in Ephesus, they have insincere lies just to draw disciples after themselves. Their consciences are branded, seared. They're they're branded by something else, someone else. Uh, In Ephesians 4, 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Talking about the same stuff. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The idea in Ephesus is, look, they're, they're turned away. What have they turned away from? They turn away from the foundation of the Word of God that gives us instruction on how we're supposed to be. And now they're turning to other things that are leading them down a path of a hardened heart. Seared conscience. Not able to respond. Second Peter 2, he says, And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, <clears throat> the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Now, have they ever had a time where somebody who, who professes faith in Christ, professes to be a Christianity, uh, or be a Christian, and their example is subpar, and they have been blasphemed by an unbelieving community? Sure. Has it ever happened to a real Christian? Eh, probably. Yeah, you guys know this guy, David. You ever heard of him? He was that man after God's own heart. Yeah, he was a king. He cheated on his wife and murdered her husband so he could steal. You remember what the prophet said to him? You have caused the nations to blaspheme my name. Was David a real believer? For sure. For sure. Can we find ourselves on that path? Yes, we can. Now, what David did next was the most important thing David ever did. You remember? He fell on his face before the Lord, repented and confessed, and God forgave him. Were there consequences still? Yes, there were. The rest of his life, he was dealing with stuff from the choices that he made. But was there with God? Nope. You're good, brother. You're good. We stand before God. Just men. Through the blood of Christ. Just men. Through his sacrifice. So here's the doctrines that these guys were spreading that were bad. Here's the things that they were trying to trick the people in Ephesus to follow. In verse 3. These people who lie. Who are listening to the deceiving spirits. And following doctrines of demons. What are they doing? Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So what were the things they were doing? They had departed from the revealed word of God and they had made some other decisions. Usually loosely based on something somebody said. (coughs) Paul once said, look, if you're single, you might want to consider staying single because you'll have more freedom to do the things that God wants you to do. Maybe that's what they took. And from that they said, look, if you really want to be used of God, just don't get married. 
But that's not what the Bible said. Nor is it what Paul said. But these guys were teaching. They're forbidding marriage. Why? Because they said asceticism is how we show our spirituality. Asceticism, the denial of our flesh. So in this case, the denial of the flesh is the desire to be married. So I'm going to deny that part of my flesh and I'm just going to live a celibate life. Hey, look, if God's telling you to do that, cool, knock yourself out. If God is leading you in this direction, praise the Lord. But if you're teaching that this direction is what makes you spiritual, that's a lie. Now, there's probably not too many people anymore running around through the church teaching that you shouldn't get married. But you and I all grew up in a church that told you the do's and don'ts. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't, don't, don't. And then when you look at all those don'ts, let's say, let's pretend that I followed all those don'ts. When someone looks at me and I don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and what's the other one? Don't date girls who do. (laughs) And I do all of those things. And I may do all of those things perfectly. I am no better an example of Jesus Christ than the person who does drink, smoke, and chew. And those last two, by the way, are not in the Bible anywhere. The first one, the Bible teaches us very clearly not to be drunk. Do not be a drunkard. Do not love wine more than you love God. Let me tell you this. God also says, do not love your Harley more than you love God. If you do, he'll hit you with a truck. Hmm. I'm speaking from experience. Yeah, I saw it for a long time. I just couldn't get out of the way. So, when, when we look at this, look, this is what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm, now, you, the question you may say, is it wise to drink? Is it wise to smoke? Is it wise to chew? Maybe not. That's a different question than did it make me more spiritual. Asceticism is always where we go. We go, if I deny my flesh, are we supposed to deny our flesh? Absolutely supposed to deny our flesh. <clears throat> we deny our flesh, say, say no to our flesh and yes to God, right? So we want to, but the the important part is what are you saying yes to, not what are you saying no from? Say, you, you do what the Word of God teaches you. But if we perform perfectly an an ascetic lifestyle, you are no more a, a believer than somebody else. Look, this is the church history went through this period of asceticism. Have you guys heard of it? Have you heard of monks? Monks were ascetics. So when I went to Greece several years ago, I went to this place, and I can never remember the name of it when I want to use it. My wife's not listening, so she don't know. (laughs) Oh, anyways, there were these monks, I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, just so you guys know, I got in a lot of trouble last week about... And I'll probably get in trouble this week too now because I said that. 
Sorry, I was trying to make eye contact with her, but she was writing, so she probably was listening. So, anyways, the, I went to see these, these monasteries. They're still there today, where people uh, chose a totally ascetic lifestyle. I'm going to cut myself off from everything. Be ye separate. You ever heard that? Be totally separate, set apart. <laughs> so they utterly set themselves apart. They focused really hard on that part. Set themselves apart. So they built a monastery on top of a rock that you can't get up. they got to drop a rope. And you're not going to like the ride. Trust me. And they get this little rickety basket. And you can get in that little basket. and beep, beep, beep. They'll pull you up. Nothing grows up there. So all the people in the area bring food to these holy men. These holy people who have cut themselves off from the world and set themselves apart and they live on top of this rock. That's the opposite of Jesus. Who left heaven to put on flesh and walk with us. Who went down and called prostitutes and tax collectors out of a sinful lifestyle to follow him. That's the opposite of sitting on top of a rock. Or living your whole life in a cave. A couple of guys, they sat on a pole their whole life on a pole. And they believed they were an incredible picture of faith and Christ. And what they were was clowns of the devil. Because... It's not, it's not any better an example than someone else. If you want to know what to cut yourself off from, I, I don't cut yourself off from whatever you think you need to. Certainly whatever the word of God would tell you to cut yourself off from. But when you do, listen to the other part. Give yourself to God. And if you give yourself to God, he's going to put you in places where the focus is not forbid to marriage or stop eating this food. That won't be it. Wisdom might say, you know, you got a heart condition, stop eating bacon. Human wisdom. My wisdom says, I'm okay getting to Jesus sooner. So (laughs) somebody told me, Somebody told me, um, look, uh, uh, you should exercise. And, and you probably should. In fact, the scripture in a minute, if I go far enough, is going to say uh, physical exercise profits a little. And uh, so they say, but this is my theory. And you guys tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think that when God made you, your heart has only so many beats in it. And whatever I do that speeds it up, <laughs> I'm just saying. There, I, I'm not going to say all the other things that are flooding through my mind right now. But now, some of my friends who do exercise, they say if I did it more, it wouldn't that wouldn't happen. So it would beat less. But I grew up in the days of Jim Fix, and if you guys know Jim Fix, he was the he wrote a book called the Running Bible or the Runner's Bible. That's what it was, Runner's Bible. He died. He he died younger than I am now. Apparently his heart only had so many beats. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But we better get back to what we're doing. Okay, so these guys, they had this ascetic stuff, right? Forbid marriage, abstain from foods that God made um, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Everything created by, by God is good. When God, in creation, this is what Paul's leaning to. Every time God created, uh, on a day of creation, what did he say? And it was good. It was good. It was good. The only thing he said it was not good about was it is not good for man to be alone. Interesting. This is what, this is what the Bible teaches, right? We want to hold fast to what the Bible says. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. This is where the idea of praying for your meal comes from. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Are you thankful for God's provision? Now, we have kind of made it a thing, right, where uh, tradi- traditions creep in when we take on good things. Like, it is possible to pray over your meal and not be thankful to God for it at all, by the way. Right? We're just going through the, the motions, right? We're just saying, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't take a bite. We've got to pray. But what the Bible says is receive it with thanksgiving. And, that, and that's something that happens in your heart, right? You guys get what I'm saying? It's not necessarily the practice. I'm not saying it can't be the practice, but it is more than just punching a card, more than checking a checklist, right? It is being received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God. Everything that God made is made holy by the word of God. That includes you. How are you made holy? You're made holy by the word of God. You're made holy by the blood of Christ. You're made holy by your relationship with him. You're not made holy by whether you wear a belt or suspenders. doesn't matter. You're not made holy by what you listen to or what political ideas you have it's it is solely on who you know you know jesus christ as your lord and savior he covers you by his blood and you are made holy and he will do a work in our minds where we submit our desires to his and we'll see things change Things once upon a time that were so vital that later on become less vital because I have surrendered to Christ. This is where the real meets uh, the make-believe. Because it is made holy by prayer. We want to see God move. So what are we to do? Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. It's funny because that word servant can also be translated minister. But do you remember I told you before, minister just means slave? And nobody puts that on their door? Yeah, everybody wants pastor or most holy right reverend or something to that effect. But being a minister is being a good servant. So this is what he's saying to Timothy. If you put these things, if you tell people about this, then you're being a good minister. You're being a good servant of Christ who's being trained in the words of the faith and good doctrine that you have followed because we're holding fast to what God's word says. We're holding fast to how God's word, what God's word is decreeing for us. And the warning is this, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. 
we got to we get you ever get sidetracked? Come on, you've heard a couple of my messages. I get sidetracked. And most of the time it's both silly and irreverent. We what we want to do is hold fast, right? And we want to hold fast what is God's word telling us not to be distracted by something shiny, not to be distracted by something else, but we're just holding fast, not following Silly myths. Some Bibles say old wives' tales. Not becoming distracted by things that don't matter. There's enough things that do matter. Amen? That we shouldn't get distracted by the things that don't. Once upon a time, we had somebody here at the church, and they come in, they wanted a meeting with me. Always getting nervous. Usually, there's two parts to my nervousness. First part is, what did I do? Which, I'm happy when that's alleviated and it's somebody else that they're there about. So, okay, it's not me. That's good. <clears throat> and the second part, they said, well, I came by the church the other day, and there was, you know, four or five people standing outside smoking. Okay. Yeah, I, I, was, I was aghast as well. It's like... <laughs> I don't think I'm a gas for the same reason you are. They're here. What do I care? They smoke. They 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 make a mess on the ground. Have you seen the kids at Calvary Chapel Buell? <laughs> Nothing is sacred. I went in my office the other day and it was covered with toys everywhere. <laughs> toys were every place. And I just say, oh, the little darlings. Pick it up and go on. Look, we want to have attitudes that are good attitudes, right? Not being distracted by the things that don't matter. Not focusing on irreverent, silly myths. But rather, listen, train yourself for godliness. Now here's the rub. For while bodily training is of some value, praise the Lord for all you guys who go to the gym. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. So get what he's talking about. What is godliness? Remember, we've been, we, we've been talking about the standards that the Lord lifts up. We looked at them in chapter 3, right? To be above reproach. To be the husband of, of one wife. To not be a, 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 a grumbler, a fighter. Not looking for quarrels. Um, you guys look at them. Those are like a standard where God says, man, this is, this is what the behavior ought to look like. And so I don't look at the thing and say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to look at the list that God lays out for me. I say, that's the goal. And when I fall short, I call on his name, right? Because he forgives me. He empowers me. He gives me the strength to be what I'm not. Because ultimately what I see is lists that I fall short on. But if I, if I will uh, uh, submit myself to God and allow God to change me, He will make me like that. I don't make myself that. Making yourself something is asceticism. God making you something is surrender. Hey. What you say, Lord, I want to be who you want me to be. I want to be the person you want me to be. So, he doesn't say not to train your body. Train your body. Go to the gym. Spend all the time in the gym you need. But make sure you spend as much time or more training yourself in godliness. 
Spend time in God's word. Spend time asking God to change your heart. Spend time in prayer. I tell everybody who I've ever raised up at Calvary Chapel Buell, before you teach anything, make sure you've read it at least 50 times. I'll give you guys something similar. Before you spread a story about somebody else or talk about somebody else or think about whether or not you need to confront somebody else, you spend 50 days praying for them. Pray for them. When I was serving at... at, at, um, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel, it's where CBI is now, I was there, and I, I was there for 13 years, I've been here 10, so I've been doing this 23 years. When I was there, I used to be so frustrated, because I'd say, well, surely you should do it like this, but I wasn't in charge there. There, I was um, uh, Pastor Gerald's assistant, my job was to do what he wanted, and I, I, I did it well. But in my brain, I'd say, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do this. I don't want to do that. I'd rather do this. And I would spend all this time being frustrated by this horrible, well, that's uh, too strong, but by the disagreements I had with leadership where I was serving. So then somebody, a dear brother, told me, hey, why don't you pray God changes him or God changes you? Okay, I can do that. So I committed to prayer. I'm going to pray. Lord, change me and how I see it or change them. Do you know God never didn't answer that prayer? Never once. Every single time. In 13 years, I never had to be reprimanded for not doing what he wanted me to do. Not fulfilling the things that he asked me to do. Because when I prayed, God did what he needed to do, either in my heart or in his. Things changed and we kept moving forward. That is being founded on the word of God. Saying the word of God is governing my behavior. The word of God is teaching me who to be. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. And it holds promise for this present life and for the life to come. Is it worthwhile to try to focus on living a godly life now? For sure, there's a blessing for you now and there's a blessing for you in the future. The blessing in the future is one day you, not all of us corporately at one time, you by yourself individually will stand before our great God and King, Jesus Christ. You will look into his eyes and you get a report. It's your time. The Bible says some, when they're tried by the fire, will come out smelling like smoke, but they will be saved. And some will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not about what somebody else did to you, or what somebody else said about you, or what somebody else, it's how, what did you do? How did you respond? We have all learned that we can't control somebody else. Look, I got a shot collar on my dog. I can't even control my dog. I wish they had them when I was raising my kids. I would have had so much fun. (laughs) It's a scary thing to be a grandpa. It's a good thing I'm different now. I'm I'm Disneyland grandpa. What What do you want here? You can have it, but... We can't control other people, but we can control ourselves. Our response, whatever happens. 
our response. We want to have the right response. We want to realize the promise for now and the life to come. For this saying is, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This saying that godliness, seeking godliness has a value for us now and a value for us in the future. But don't seek it through asceticism. Seek it through surrender. Don't seek it by what you're capable of doing through your willpower. Seek it by drawing closer to Christ and allowing Christ to change you. And recognize that Christ may change you one way and someone else another. And be okay with that. Remember Peter standing there? Jesus had restored Peter and he brought Peter back into the fold. And then Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the future. He said, one day people you don't like are going to string you up and take you somewhere you don't want to go. And the scripture says this, he spoke to him about the way he was going to die. Everybody know how Peter died? Yeah, he was crucified just like Christ. So Peter started looking around. He seen John. And he looks over at John and he says to the Lord, what about him? And the Lord said something that's very important for us to hear. The Lord said, if I will that he stay alive till I return, what's that to you? You follow me. That's something we got to remember, right? Hold fast to what God's word says. Love each other. Care about each other. Put your hurts down. Forgive one another. Ask for forgiveness if you've done wrong. Do what God's word is calling us to do. Don't be people who are led away from the faith, who are brought away from the faith because they won't hold fast to what the word of God says. Don't listen to the lies that the enemy speaks in your ear. Hold fast. Don't be like the Pharisees who followed their father, the devil. Be like men and women who are who they profess to be, followers of Christ Jesus. Be like him. Follow the Lord. Follow him. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. True? If your hope is set on the living God, then you're golden. If your hope is set on anything else, you're going to be frustrated. If your hope is set that I'm always going to say the right thing or do the right thing, I'll just apologize now. If your hope is anything other than the living God, Put your hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all kinds of people. There's nobody He can't save. He can save them all. Especially those who believe. Those who acknowledge, those who bow the knee, those who say, Yea, Lord, it is you. I want to follow you. I want to follow your example. Everything in life is about taking that example. Everything in life is about saying, yes, I want to do what Jesus did here. Now, I don't always make that choice, nor do you. Sometimes I do something different. Sometimes I do something wrong. Sometimes I listen to the lies, right? There's a, a, a hundred ways we can react in a given situation. But if you know that the way we're supposed to act is by, uh, is by following Christ and acting like Him, then, then let's do that. Well, then the next lie that the enemy whispers in your ear is you've messed up before. So what? Everybody in this room messed up before. It's not about whether or not you've ever stumbled or fallen. 
What is it about? The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times in a day and rises again. So get up. Dust yourself off. Confess. Repent. Your Father in Heaven longs to forgive you. Your Father in Heaven longs to empower you to be the man or woman He's calling you to be. Surrender to Him. This is what Timothy's supposed to teach the people at Ephesus. This is what I'm supposed to teach the people in Buell. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. That's what being a Christian is all about. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. Thank you for just worship. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the food we're going to receive in just a moment at our time of fellowship together. We thank you, God, for the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of your people. We thank you, God, that you forgive us of those. We thank you, God, that you set us free. We thank you, Lord, that you break the chains that bind us. Lord, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you didn't sit up on top of a mountain somewhere looking down on my failure. But you put on flesh. You came and walked beside me. And you said, look, you're not doing it right. Do it like this. No matter how many times we mess it up, God, you are long-suffering. You are long-suffering and eternally patient. I know because we've still been here. We're we're going 2,000 years. But your word says that God is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward you, desiring that no one should perish. So God, he's here, and he's calling us that we might repent and believe, that we would put our faith and trust in him. That we would lay aside the hurts that we've received at the hands of other people who profess Christ. That we would say, I forgive you. And I'm sorry. Life is full of pain and sorrow. We saw that when Jesus came. But if we live with a hope in the living God... The days that we look forward to that the Bible says, oh, there's a day coming when the lion will eat straw. You won't have to be afraid of him. Where the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Where a child will be playing by the cobra's den and you won't be afraid because no one, nothing does harm anywhere in the kingdom of God. I I can't even imagine what that's like. I spend my life listening to fear echoing my brain about all the dangers and all the things that can go wrong. But God, you are promising a day. A day when nothing will be like that. They will do no harm here. 
the little child playing by the cobra's den. No, no fear of rattlesnakes in the playground. No fear of evil, wicked men of whom I was ever doing harm again. For the Lord says, I will teach them to take their swords and make plowshares and they will study war no more. No more will we be divided by ideology. No more will we be divided by all these things that divide us because we will have one righteous king, one righteous sovereign that we follow. Jesus Christ is his name. And when Jesus takes this whole redeemed creation and he lays it down before the father the father receives it from the son and the lord says see i have made all things new man that's a day that i'm looking forward to so now i want to be like you I want to be like you were in this broken world. I want to be a man like you who could love his enemies, who could say the things that needed to be said at the times they needed to be said. Who could reach out and love the unworthy or the unloving. Who had the ability to see the heart behind whatever someone was saying. We get that by having your heart your eyes your mind so let the mind of Christ be within you bow the knee profess Jesus Christ as Lord repent and believe we're going to have an opportunity we continue in worship the elders and other prayer counselors will be available around the sanctuary for you if you need prayer please come and pray and watch God make you new and we give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus name Amen to your arms I'm running to your arms the riches of your love will always be enough nothing compares to your embrace light of the world forever I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough, nothing compares to your Your love will always be enough.
of your love will always be enough and nothing compares to your embrace light of the world forever if we still need prayer there's still people up here available whatever your need is this morning We'd like to pray for you for whatever it is.